I think kind of that shift from manager to leader and now from leader to coach. And if you think about the role of the coach, you're really there to ensure the well-being of the players and make sure you get the most out of them. So ensuring that you create that space where people feel that they belong and that they can truly be themselves at work, I think is a, is a great starting place. Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. Daniel Hayward is head of customer success for the Americas at LinkedIn. In this episode, he shares his thoughts on how leaders can support their mental health and wellness of their team members, how they can fight stigma with vulnerability, and how he personally is taking care of his mental health during the pandemic. Well, Dan, it's uh, fantastic to have you on the show. Like I said before, really happy to have you here to retry after my failed attempt to have you on our podcast where you'd prevented uh, or prepared all this amazing content about mental health. And then I messed up the, uh, the links and wasn't actually able to get you on. So I appreciate you making time for the, uh, the retry. I really appreciate you. Give me a second chance. Of course, of course. Well, I was uh, I was really happy to have you on because the first time you and I connected, you shared with me some of the strategies that you were doing around some of this stuff with your own team. So I was eager to get that disseminated and out into the world. So for context uh, for listeners, we recently did a, a really big mental health initiative at Catalyst. And one of the things we did, uh, we dove into sort of the key challenges or takeaways that seem prevalent across the tech space, the startup space, in customer success specifically. And so Dan and I will be diving into the three main takeaways that we got from that research. So the first key result that we wanted to explore was the fact that 94% of leaders have seen an increase in mental health and wellness concerns among their team members this year. I don't know anyone who's too shocked at that number because we're probably all feeling it ourselves. But in terms of kind of seeing how other people are feeling it, I'm curious how you as a leader determine the mental health and wellness of your team. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, the past year that, that we've all lived through, I think, has, has given us kind of pause to kind of reflect on how we operated previously and, and, and definitely how we think about this now. So for me, as I kind of reflected and think thought about this, the, the reality is I think there are some, some formal and some kind of informal ways, mechanisms or kind of practices that I've put in place. So really, um, you know, we're lucky enough at LinkedIn, uh, we have a very regular EVS survey. So we pulse our team uh, every 12 weeks. Uh, and clearly over the last kind of uh, year or so, that's been a great way to kind of really temperature check how people are doing. We uh, ensure that we have uh, skip levels. So I, I ensure that I spend a, a lot of time with my, my directs, directs, and then a lot of team level frontline CSM listening sessions. Something else I've found really useful in the, the past year here in the, in the United States is building up a, a bank of uh, kind of trusted advisors. So um, individuals, whether that's in different employee resource groups, ERGs, or just individuals who uh, developed a relationship with who um, we can have these kind of frank conversations and will you know, bring things to, to my attention, things that I may, may miss you know, otherwise. And then I think one of the, the, yeah, the fun ways uh, that yeah, we try to do this is also build in this virtual world, kind of is something we call beyond the blue jeans, but essentially it's a random group of employees every month. So we kind of have a randomizer that selects the invitees across my entire org, so it's 150 plus people. And uh, we connect for 30 minutes and we have kind of two or three random questions. And it's really just a great way to kind of you know, get time to decompress and just um, uh, sense check where people are. Nice. Uh, I really like that. Can you quickly explain to me, because I ha actually haven't heard the term before, what are skip levels? 
skip levels for me would be um, booking time, not just with my direct reports, but with the next level down. So I have two levels of leaders in my org beneath me. So spending time on a monthly basis, uh, pretty much start since the start of the pandemic with those individuals. So I have uh, five directs and then another 17 managers in my org. So having 20 minute check-ins with no agenda, really you know, the time is uh, for that individual and we can connect on uh, anything that may be either work-related, personal, and just kind of you know, catch up on family. So it's a, it's a great way to kind of build the formal bridge into that kind of connecting with people on a human level. Oh, okay, that, that makes sense. I mean, 20 minutes doesn't sound long, but when you say 20 times uh, 17 or 20, however many said you five immediate uh, reports and then 17 of the next level, um, it uh, it would add up to a lot of minutes per month. So it's a pretty significant time yeah. investment. Yeah. Do you find it's hard to keep up with all of that or is it pretty easy to work into the scheduling? I think once it's in the scheduling, um, I think there's there's benefit on both sides. I think kind of I, I get a lot of energy personally. I'm, I'm very much uh, kind of a an extrovert. And I think kind of not being in the office is is challenging for all of us. But I, I find that, um, yeah, once it's scheduled, it's, it's really beneficial and it certainly pays off. Each of these individuals is a, a people leader with, you know, seven to 12 individuals in our org. So it's a great way just to kind of have those kind of one-to-one conversations around how people are doing or to flag kind of any areas of concern that, that I may need to lean into as a more senior leader. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And it's great to have a culture where you check in with everybody on that regular basis. That's right. You said that sometimes there's no agenda, right, with these conversations. Sometimes it's about family. Sometimes it's about work. How do you sort of go into those conversations knowing that you want to engage the mental health and wellness of the employee, but without making it uncomfortable or too direct? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it has to come from a point, uh, from a place of authenticity. You know, any any kind of interaction like that, otherwise it just comes off as kind of insincere or, you know, this is something that I may feel required to do as a leader. I think certainly during my tenure here at LinkedIn, you know, the, the focus has been on compassionate leadership. And I think kind of the best time to start caring for people or showing up as a human being is not in the middle of a crisis. So I think kind of definitely banked a lot of the benefits before this by really focusing on creating like a vulnerable, open space where everybody felt they could contribute on the leadership team first. And then I think that really helps at this stage. But I think the key, the key things are showing up from a place of authenticity. But yeah, you know, asking the question you want to ask and saying, you know, how are you doing right now? What can I do to help you? And then being comfortable listening and being comfortable sharing how you're doing. And there, you know, there have definitely been times when I've not been okay, um, you know, in the last uh, year or so. And you know, and I think it it definitely helps for other people to hear you specifically if you're in a position, you know, if you're in a leadership role, um, sharing sharing like what you find challenging or some of the the struggles that you're having at that time and then what you're doing to address that. And often you'll find that it's very reciprocal. This is not just a top-down kind of check-in and how are you doing? There's there's mutual benefits for sure. You might have already answered this, but uh, the question I wanted to ask, you know, bearing in mind that you are a, a very senior leader at the company, how do you go sort of uh, go about sort of making sure that that doesn't become a barrier in those conversations, right? Because people might not want to share that they're worried or that, you know, you might go to HR or it might lead to something else. In the, even in the back of your mind subconsciously during meetings, you might look at them differently or think about their ideas differently. Have you ever found that to be a barrier or do you find that just sort of starting by sharing about yourself uh, and, and expressing that vulnerability for yourself first negates the potential tension? Yeah, so I think consistency is key. So like showing showing up as, a, as an authentic leader in every interaction prior to kind of COVID and quarantine and throughout, I think is key and creates a, a builds a platform of trust. But then I do think that that's a great point, Ben. I think the being thoughtful in terms of how and when you address this, engaging the other person's you know, readiness or openness to share. And I think kind of the reality is that I may not be the best person 
uh, to speak to that individual. It may be their frontline manager, or it may be you know, quite often you get those kind of those nonverbal signals or just the sense that something isn't okay. So then checking in with the, their leader or even reaching out, I, I would reach out to, you know, we have fantastic HR business partners just to kind of flag that, you know, it may be worth them kind of just touching base with person A, you know, person X, just to see how they're doing. Nice. That's really good. And I think, I mean, the sharing goes such a long way. Our CEO, uh, a few weeks ago, he spoke at a company all hands for, I think it must have been five minutes. It felt like a while, but he was just in front of the entire company uh, being incredibly open and, and vulnerable about how he was feeling and how badly he needed this full week of vacation time off to spend with his family. And, you know, when when you're a CEO of a company of 40, 50 people, it's a big hole that is there when you are, are away, but setting that standard in front of the entire company that he was open about it and it was important to take this time to take care of himself uh, and his family. So I, I just, I really think it's important to do that and take every opportunity you can to do that. So like you said, you might go in and intentionally share something about yourself in order to just spark that conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of being, you know, being present in the moment and, and reading the signals, you know, there, there've been several occasions where at the start of meeting, it's clear that people aren't okay. Certainly this year with everything that uh, 2021 has, has thrown us uh, thrown at us in the start of the year. So I think kind of being very thoughtful and present and, and aware. Uh, and then, yeah, I think there's a real benefit if the culture of the organization and senior leadership kind of embrace this, embrace the concept of kind of transparency and openness. But I also think if that isn't there in, in you know, in certain organizations, then I think it, it very much is down to the individual. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things that we can do, regardless of whatever level we're at, to be there and support others. And, and it really is one of those, um, I think it's a, it creates a virtuous circle. I think kind of, I definitely feel that, you know, there's an opportunity where someone's checked in with me on something. It definitely makes me more more focused and more conscious of, to ensure that I do that and pay that back in the next interaction that I, that I have. Definitely, and it it starts with individuals, right? It doesn't have to be the whole company all at once. Yeah, it's not like a binary thing, and it starts with you know you just someone taking that first step. And I liked what you said too about you know you can't start this stuff in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, you, you can, I guess, and, and you should if it wasn't there before, but it comes across a little more disingenuous if you're like, oh, apparently 94% of people are having, you know, mental health and wellness concerns. Maybe we should start caring, um, you know, adding in some benefits or maybe, and we should start checking in on our team. It's a lot harder to build that trust if you weren't doing it before or you wait until people leave or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's like, you know, the reality is that the, the world of work and the role of of leaders of works has shifted so much even during my career and so i think kind of that shift from manager to leader and now from leader to coach and if you think about the kind of the the, the role of the coach it's re you're really there to ensure the well-being of the players and make sure you get the most out of them and i think that transcends a lot of topics but mental health um, absolutely sits squarely there so ensuring that you create that space where people feel that they belong and that they can truly be themselves at work i think is a, is a great starting place and you made a great point, which is that it links directly to productivity. I mean, it links to getting directly the most out of your team, which is one of those things where it's both the right thing to do and the productive or the capitalist thing to do, for, for lack of a better phrase. So I'm curious because I know that benefits in particular for mental health and wellness are still pretty new and they sort of run the gamut in terms of, you know, some companies, there's a lot, some companies, there's very few. What do they do at LinkedIn? What sort of specific benefits are accessible to you? And how does the leadership team sort of think about them making that investment, even though they don't necessarily see the direct financial return, whereas they could allocate some of that money towards marketing or, or that sort of thing? Yeah, so I, I think we're definitely you know, very fortunate at LinkedIn to have always had a very full range of, of benefits. And I think kind of, again, 
they've definitely been reviewed and enhanced over the you know, as needs have changed over the last last 12 months so kind of i guess taking a step back we have the kind of the full range of mental physical and kind of financial coaching and support avenues and uh, employee resources that we can kind of access and activate confidentially for each of those areas we also have a very well established set of uh, employee resource groups and so they each focus on, on, on different areas and different um, employees' needs, of course. But there's a huge amount of cross-pollination and, and support across the Enable-In, which is our, our mental and physical wellness ERG, that really kind of transcends a lot of our, our other groups. So again, we have good structure there. More formally, we have, we've always had monthly in-days. Um, so this is a day, once, one day a month that the, bus- the business gives to all employees to kind of to give back to the community, uh, to focus on yourself, to recharge. And then most recently, we've started to um, introduce um, two things. So one is a, a broader kind of lift up initiative. Uh, and that's really focusing on responding to the specific needs that we're hearing in our, our employee voice surveys in terms of some of the options we may need in this kind of work from home, remote working. And so a little bit more focused there again on kind of elevating awareness around our mental and physical health resources that we have. And then also kind of you know, quite tactically implementing things as simple as like no meeting days. So now once a month, we'll have a day, which is uh, no internal meetings, still very much down to the individual. Clearly, we want to meet with clients and um, continue to do business. But that, that's one day a month, again, to focus on yourself and to really invest in, in, your, in your well-being. I know many companies that do that, my, myself included. I have a self-imposed weekly day like that, uh, but I've yet to meet a person or a company where it's actually consistently honored. But sounds like in your case, it's it's just with respect to the internal meetings, which sounds a little more doable at, at the uh, you know external meetings. It's up to the individual. That's right. Yeah. So in the past, it's been a little bit hit and miss, but but now I think you know certainly in the last six months, been fully adopted in terms of a a blanket ban on internal meetings. Um, and it does create, you know, it really does create space, whether that's kind of mental space or, or space to catch up on work or space to kind of you know, leverage some of the other resources that I, that I mentioned. Nice. Uh, so we've already started talking a bit about this, but uh, I wanted to back up a little bit to the stat behind it, which is that only 46% of people are comfortable telling their colleagues that they've taken or are taking a day off for mental health and wellness concerns. At Catalyst, we've been doing that a lot, really intentional recently. It sounds like that that's something that you do consistently with your team, but it's clear by and large that a stigma still exists across the continuum uh, at large at at, uh, most companies. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on some of the other ways that leaders can work to fight that stigma and help team members feel more comfortable sharing that they're taking a day off for mental health and wellness and not feeling like they have to make up an excuse or something that they think sounds more, more professional. I don't want to say like, sound like a broken record, but I definitely feel that you know, this is an area where leading by, by example probably has the most impact. So uh, you know, being very specific, calling out explicitly you know, the time that I'm taking off for, for my own personal mental health. And so, as I mentioned, this has been a focus of, a, you know, of our team and of the business for some time. But you know, at the start of the, the pandemic last year, and uh, as it became very clear that people were experiencing work from home in, very, you know, in a variety of different ways, whether you have kind of elder care, uh, children dependents, uh, flatmates. It was you know, very clear that we needed to meet the employees where we were. And you know, I'm no different. I have three uh, young kids that are in middle school and um, elementary school age and an older daughter who's at university in the UK. As I was talking through the challenges with my directs, it became clear that you know, what we were facing was no different to our team. It just maybe we're at different life stages or we have different setups. So getting ahead of that and being very explicit in terms of sharing my plans with the entire org. So communicated to, to the full team in terms of how I was intending to support my family, but also to create space that I needed for myself. So that included 
and I still still keep this up. Every Tuesday and Friday, I focus on homeschooling. My kids have been homeschooling since last March, so from eight until midday. Tuesdays and Fridays, I kind of block out. I'll work earlier and I'll work later. And then uh, once a month, take a day out just for myself from a wellness perspective and share that and broadcast that with the team and encourage others to, to do the same and to, to also share that. And then what we try and do is recognize, you know, kind of catch people doing the right thing and, you know, have people talk about what they did on that time, if they're open to sharing, uh, whether it's at team meetings or in newsletters or in our, we have cultural newsletters to just kind of share like that. What is it that, you know, that, how have you benefited or how has this time benefited others, whether that's just purely spending time with your family or volunteering at food banks. Um, but I do think it, you know, it definitely starts with uh, the leader um, standing up and being vulnerable and saying, this is something I need to do, which luckily at LinkedIn, um, that's very much supported across the, across the leadership team. It's definitely reflective of, of all the folks on the leadership team and, and the junior folks at LinkedIn that I've interacted with. I have yet to meet a person that works at LinkedIn that I don't think is fantastic. So I really think that says a lot about the culture. And I was going to say, that, though, that that would scare me if I was actually asked to share what I do on the mental health days off because, well, maybe not scare me, but maybe depress me because it reminds me of how little I can actually do during COVID. So it's sort of like, oh, here's what I watched on Netflix or here's what I baked or, you know, the, the pizza that I ordered or something like that. But yeah, there's been a lot of baking, depending on where you are, a lot of walks in, in nature or kind of getting out into, into the open space. Um, but if I think one more person yeah. posts about walking meetings, like <laughs> we've had a snowstorm and like minus 20 degree weather for the past month. So I don't want to hear uh, how good walking meetings are for me and that I should be doing that now. It's not like, I mean, I feel like we should put a, a geofence on those posts or something like that with that tag. So it doesn't even reach anyone that's, that's up in Canada. <laughs> it's all fantastic stuff. I was going to ask you because again, three little ones at home and doing homeschooling sounds like a whole lot. So curious if you have any tactics or, or tricks you can advise to other parents who might be listening who are also working from home right now to maintain their sanity. Yeah, so I think uh, parenting uh, in our household is definitely a team sport. In the interest of my wife, may listen to this podcast. She's clearly the primary caregiver, and um, and and she's fantastic. But I uh, I think we learned early on to really focus on what's important, and that's really the yeah you know, the kids' kind of happiness and well being over the the grades and the the amount of random submissions that they have to have to do in a week. So just being thoughtful that you know, and, and I actually shared this with my kids' elementary teacher that you know, number one priority is that you know. They continue to learn, but they're, they're happy, they're safe, they're warm, they're well-fed. And so I think you know, we're very fortunate in that way. And then, um, yeah, we take every opportunity we can. I know it's, it's tough depending on the weather, but we take every opportunity we can to get them out. We have a trampoline in the backyard. So quite often in between, in between lessons, we'll be out, you know, I'll be out too in between calls on the trampoline, just trying to kind of keep them active and keep things feeling as, as normal as possible. You can learn about physics on a trampoline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We can learn about cloud, cloud formations. We've done the trampoline. Clouds, that's a, that's a good one too. It's underneath a tree. So we learn a lot about seeds and seed pods. So yeah, it's, it's kind of fairly situational. I would say one upside for me, you know, I'm clearly, uh, well, not clearly, I'm originally from England. I now live in the, in the East Bay in California. And um, what I found is that, you know, for all of the technology we have, we really didn't leverage kind of Zoom calls and uh, you know, FaceTime with our family members in Europe prior to COVID half as much as we do now. And it's been a, you know, that's been a, you know, a, a one positive takeaway is that everybody's now just so much more comfortable jumping on calls, my parents and, and in-laws. So that's been fantastic in terms of like the connectivity with the kids uh, and having that time with their grandparents. So definitely kind of like anchoring on, on some of those positives as well. 
Definitely. My grandparents were excited last weekend. Catalyst gave us all uh, Facebook Portal Pluses as one of our Christmas gifts, which was really sweet. Oh, they're, great. they're fantastic, but I didn't really need one. And my, my grandparents only have one iPad mini that they share between the two of them. And they're stuck at home right now with maybe the occasional call, but they fight over the iPad to, to call their kids and their grandkids. So mm-hmm. I was excited to set them up last weekend with the portal. And my 86 or 87 year old grandfather was, was overjoyed and is now very eager to call everybody. <laughs> Moving on to the third point, which I I found super interesting, uh, but maybe not surprising, was that 99% of leaders believe they have a responsibility to intervene or talk with team members who are experiencing mental health issues, but only 24% have actually had training on how to do so. Um, So we had a good laugh when we looked at like the 99% and there was like one or two people that uh, said no. So not going to be applying to those companies, but it was interesting that only 24% had had training. And it got me thinking too, because I was I was surprised that it was 99% that actually said that they did have a responsibility. I, I thought it'd be less because I thought that people believe in sort of a separation of church and state and personal responsibility, and we're not trained because we're not HR and all that kind of stuff. But anytime you're managing people, it can get a little messy, I guess. So curious your thoughts on why, because I know you're part of the that 99% on why you believe that leaders do have a responsibility to intervene and talk with team members who are experiencing those issues. Let's start there before we move to the training conversation. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting stat too. And I think my response really comes down to the philosophy of like, you know, we're all human first. And so I think coming back to that evolution of kind of, of leadership from kind of managerial and you know, into, into more kind of leader to then into the, you know, the coach role that we see now, often it depends on the, you know, the maturity of the organization or you know, the, the state of evolution of the individual. But uh, you know, it's encouraging to see that 99% feel the same. And I do wonder if that stat would be different a year to 18 months ago in so much as I think kind of the, there, there's an inherent intimacy this current situation has created. We, we, it all feels like we're all in each other's lives. Like right now I'm sat in my garage. You can see the, the, gym, the gym stuff behind me. And I, I feel like for a lot of our individuals, you know, leaders and, and uh, team members, we've all had these additional glimpses into people's homes and lives with kids coming in and pets. And, and so I, I get, definitely get a sense that there is a, you know, the concept of bringing your whole self to work. Well, it's now kind of bringing work to your, to your whole home. I can see that being part of the reason why people would feel more comfortable uh, reaching out and wanting to kind of assist or support people from a mental health perspective. Does it concern you when you think about the argument that if they're not trained, which we know that 76% are not, that they might cause additional harm or additional stress or that or that sort of thing? How do you think about that personally with your team when you're talking with someone about these topics? Is it sort of instinctual or have you actually received formal training? Are you part of the 24%? Definitely at some point in the last year we had training. Prior to that, no. But I do think it's kind of a, you know, first principle kind of do no harm so i think the reality is with or without training uh, putting that kind of uh, people first lens on just you know checking in with people and very much you know prior to the the training i think the training kind of bears this out it's really you're you're there to meet them where they are to check in and you know really help them understand that it's okay not to be okay if they have uh, something they want to talk about or, or if they if they're not not okay i may not be the best person to speak to but uh, I want to make sure that regardless, I leave them aware of the resources and the right person to connect with. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, we're, we're lucky and fortunate at LinkedIn that we do have a pretty good range of uh, resources to meet most needs. And so I think kind of just in, in one instance, knowing that your manager or somebody cares enough to kind of check in with you goes a long way. That's really important. But then, um, yeah, most importantly, that manager, not just checking in, but also kind of you know, ensuring that you know that there's a, you know, there is a, a wiki or a GoLink or a, 
a website that you can leverage by yourself if you're not open to share or if you want further information or where you can go and explore those options and, and, and get help if needed. Is it something you remind people of when you're on a on your team on a regular basis? Like, remember, these are all the benefits that are available to you. Use them. Like, is that a really proactive motion? Yeah, very much so. Every newsletter, every every communication, we have great yeah, great comms on a weekly basis from a SVP of HR. This should also include kind of the most up to date kind of any changes uh, to the program because they're constantly evolving based on the the team's need, and then links to kind of the, the various resources. And we kind of absolutely will will mirror that. So typically, in a, we do a quarterly all hands. There's a monthly managers meeting. We very much focus on you know team and talent is our number one priority, and we're really focused on supporting people's well-being as a, as a first kind of most fundamental principle. I love that a company the size of LinkedIn is able to do all that and offer all those benefits, but also still get more personal with it as well, or specific to the individual. I remember, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we're, you know, how, how much we can talk about it, because I know it was a, an individual story, but the first time you and I spoke about this, you shared with me a story about a team member who was thinking about going on halftime to take care of their kids, or there was some sort of situation like that, but there was a really interesting accommodation that um, you and, and the team were able to make. Could you walk through that story or, or that situation in, in whatever capacity is is uh, comfortable trying to think about how to you know, approach it i guess like in, in the, the concept would be kind of uh we have emergency family leave which is kind of like a very formal process that employees can apply for and then prior to that we kind of have uh, you know a more of a flexible manager-led kind of solution and so really that's down to kind of the, the, uh, an individual with a specific need and you know, given the current reality that we're all in and then us working you know frontline manager um, is able to work with that individual to determine okay how can we best support you is that you know do you need to take uh, some time off straight would it be beneficial to take uh, uh yeah, part of the week off could we build your um your activities and the you know the commitments that you've got uh, from a customer perspective around kind of your personal circumstance so we can kind of support that so that's very much kind of the you know i think the approach that we take and trying to ensure that we um, put the individual with the specific need at the center of the decision-making process and try and build the you know, the solution around that. Very much kind of trying to ensure that we're building flexibility into the solution for them. I think that's fantastic. It must be very difficult to do that at the size and scale of a company like LinkedIn to really have that personalized option. I think it requires a lot of autonomy, really great systems, a great HR team in place to make sure that something like that can actually work really well. So it's really fantastic to hear. One of the few last questions I wanted to ask you, because I like to, anytime I talk to uh, an executive who I know is in charge of a team, and we talk a lot about setting by example, but I like to, to ask leaders this question. When was the last full mental health day that you took? It was in January. I'm not sure the exact, the, the exact date. I think it was probably the second or third Friday in January. Uh, and what I typically do is take the Friday off and be very thoughtful to kind of like invest in my kids and just kind of connect with them, catch up around the house, but kind of uh, what I found, you know, it's just it's really important to leave. I leave my laptop and my my phone in a different room and just kind of focus on being present and um, you know try to get at the state they call it like in the flow, like wh wh whatever I'm doing, like if I'm in the garden or if I'm with the kids or you know to that point where you're not you're you're consciously unaware of you know anything other than the thing that you're doing. And so I think that's kind of like a good for me, a, a good benchmark of kind of you know, mental kind of detox is getting to that point. And so yeah. Oh no no so I was gonna say I yeah I try I try to be thoughtful and yeah really focus on at least one day uh, one day a month uh, wherever possible. If you can get into that flow state, that sort of feeling at least one day a month, uh, it's just fantastic. There's 
I can't remember the the exact science, but it's in Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The Happiness Hypothesis that I read. Uh, He writes a fair bit about it, that there's uh, some science I've I'm sure I understood at the time, but I don't remember about being in the flow state and how that actually heals your brain and relaxes you. And it does all these amazing things. So if you can do that on your day off, but it's something unwork related, obviously it's great when you can be in a flow state at work, but on the day off, if you can do something completely unrelated and still have that same, get into that same mental state, it's, it's a fantastic to make the, the most use of that day. Absolutely. And I have to say, I've tried since the you know, the daily commute has been reduced to zero and kind of walking from the bedroom to the, to the garage. I, you know, uh, over the past year, really kind of fallen back in love with running again. So I kind of, you know, I mean, I've always enjoyed uh, running and used to do a lot of long distance, but, um, you know, t- taking that three hours that used to be a commute and just committing one hour a day to, to go for a run uh, has been phenomenal. And I think, um, you know, often I find that that's the, again, halfway through an hour long run, you kind of get into that state where, you know, you're just focused on your breathing or focused on the running. And it's this huge kind of dividends, as you mentioned, to kind of like that. Are there any specific resources that you would recommend to folks, uh, maybe to leaders like yourself, for people who are managing teams remotely for them to look into if they want to maybe learn more about this or better support their team? Yeah, so I, I mean, there are there are a ton out there. Two, I you know, that I use fairly regularly. The first is the dailystoic.com. I very much kind of rediscovered kind of stoicism and, and a focus there over the last year, and, and just find that you know every day there's a there's a passage and a, and a, and a focus, and really has helped me to contextualize or, or position you know a lot of the, the the rapid change or the emotion that, that that you know I've been experiencing. So I find that very useful. Can you define that for me? Because uh, I haven't read much about it. So when I think of stoic, I think like, okay, someone's in pain and they're not crying. Like that's my reference point for stoicism, and I'm, which I'm sure is completely off. So can you give me an elevator pitch of, of actual stoicism? Yeah, it's definitely not the kind of like the, the stoic stony face kind of approach to this piece. It's more about self-management. So how do we think about the way in which, you know, how do I think about the way in which I, I show up in the world? And how do I respond to those things that I can control? How do I respond to that to events in the world, focusing on those things that I can control? Um, so thinking about kind of integrity, thinking about kind of moderation, thinking about kind of balance in terms of uh, emotion, uh, and really thinking about how do I get the best out of the very limited time that we all have here? So kind of being kind of anchored in the moment and very thoughtful about my approach to challenges, issues, and those sorts of things. So it's, it's a great framework. Yeah, Ryan Holiday is a yeah probably one of the most prolific Stoic writers right now, and the, and the Daily Stoic is a you know 366 page book that you can pick up. Um, and the DailyStoic.com and the podcast are, are great resources that I found kind of just help me reflect and yeah you know, sometimes contextualize kind of the the best way to to approach the, the world that we live in. Awesome, I will definitely check that out. Anything else you'd recommend? Yeah, um, and you mentioned something quite similar earlier. So the Happiness Lab by Laurie DeSantos. I'm not sure if you've heard of the started off as a, an undergrad course that she decided to teach at Yale. She was a, a, a psychology professor there, I believe. And she realized that for all of her success and all of her kind of extrinsic goodness in the world, she, she wasn't happy herself. And so this was a course, it, it was a, a period of study and a course that she um, developed to really kind of understand like the science of happiness. And it was, it became Yale's highest ever subscribed undergraduate class. 
um, and then got turned to turn into an, uh, an online free to access web series uh, and then you know, learning series. And then uh, it's now a great podcast. Uh, and there's some amazing resources as we've all journeyed through 2020 and 2021. It's been great. She's been very, you know, very quick to kind of address kind of specific needs and, and tailor kind of like the, the podcast and the content to the world in which we live in as well. The book I mentioned, I would definitely recommend to listeners, uh, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. Uh, it sounds very similar to The Happiness Lab. And it's, uh, it sounds a little self-helpy, but it's, it's on more of the philosophy side, it really, and, and scientific side. It goes into physiologically what's happening when you're happy or when you're sad and different emotions and just kind of helps you get it, gain a better understanding, which I really like. And it sounds like your approach as well with the stoicism layer added on is, uh, is really interesting. I definitely think having a lens on uh, helping others starts with helping yourself or at least understanding yourself. And so I think kind of that's been a, you know, kind of as we've, uh, none of us are independent of what's going on in the world. So kind of like having some time and every morning, I, you know, I sit down and have a practice where I kind of sit down with a cup of coffee and I will just you know, read it and just meditate on a, on the stoic passage and just think about, okay, well, what does this really mean for me? And how can I show up as my best self in the world? And how can I you know, show up to support others and my team, my family? I love that. I think the, uh, the intentionality behind it is, is really the key, right? Like it's, it's something you have to focus on. It's something that takes intention to take care of your mental health. It's not something that just happens by accident. It's something you actually have to structure into rituals like that that are so important. And it's, it's funny because it actually made me think about one of the things that I think has just sort of gotten exacerbated on my end through COVID, which is, also kind of going back to my incorrect definition of stoicism, where if I'm having a hard day or I'm not feeling good about something or just in general feeling like crap, I tend to just be quiet. Like I go inside, I don't express that. I don't talk about it. I don't complain. Like I don't really do any of that because I wasn't brought up to do that. I was brought up really sort of waspy <laughs> on that side of things. Whereas my partner is Italian, so there's no filter at all and it just always comes out. So it's funny to strike that balance between the two. And COVID has definitely been an exercise for, for both of us to just be, I guess, really intentional about how we're expressing ourselves on a, on a regular basis. The last question for you. So Obviously, when you're stressed or when anyone is stressed, you know, your brain sort of freaks out. You get tunnel vision. It's hard to concentrate, hard to do different things. We talked about this a little bit earlier. A flow state is one of the best ways to deal with stress in general, to do things that relax you, distract you from whatever it was. So playing with a pet, watching TV, that sort of thing. So what is your main go-to relaxation activity? It's an interesting one. So I, I definitely love to cook. I have a fairly large household uh, with a lot of critics. So I'm, I'm consciously trying to kind of get the perfect meal or, or to create something that, that everyone likes. So I enjoy being in the kitchen and doing that. That's definitely one. I found that in, over the last year, my superpower now is sleep. Uh, and I think it drives my wife nuts. <laughs> she just stares angrily, angrily at you while, uh, yeah, while, while yeah. she's awake and you're yeah. asleep in two with seconds. The, with the iPad, you know, the bright blue light next to me. But um, being very intentional in terms of when I go to bed and when I get up and, you know, being focused on the kind of the miracle morning. So like I get up re re yeah, regularly kind of before 6am and focus on you know, that time, particularly as now I'm kind of you know, homeschooling often after eight. Something that I, I find really relaxes me is BBC radio. Um, so with that kind of the very kind of uh, clipped received pronunciation, there's some very good pod, yeah, a great, a great kind of podcast called In Our Time. Uh, and the show's been running for like almost 30 years. There's like 30 years of these um, 45 minute podcasts. They've converted them to podcasts now. But typically, you know, we'll, we'll get into bed and we'll just kind of listen to you know, history, science, uh, culture and religion, four different topics. And just pick one of those at, at random and kind of just, you know, really you know, focus on you know, listening and learning. And then you know, normally I'm, I'm gone. 
I'm aiming for eight hours sleep a night. I'm, I'm almost there on average this year, but yeah, I definitely find that um, whatever whatever that rhythm is, and you know, I, some people it's it's binging Netflix and you know, kind of getting in that way. But I think kind of once you find your jam, I kind of you know, I find like that's yeah, you know, it's it's good to kind of just lean into it. That's my special my special power right now. Nice. That's a that's a good one. I I actually do something similar, but way less educational. I turn on The Simpsons on Disney Plus. It auto plays episode to episode, but I I turn the brightness all the, and the sound almost completely off, and it's just enough to distract me from the voices in my head that are telling me all the things that I need to get done or I should have done differently or all that kind of stuff. But it's not so much that it keeps me awake. There's just something. There's like a vague story or something. But usually within two minutes, I'm completely out. So I think I've theoretically watched all like 800 seasons of the Simpsons 50 times over, but I, I think it's about a quarter of that in, in real life. But it's a good trick to have something playing as you pass out. Yeah, absolutely. I think the power of, you know, from a, a just mental well-being perspective, like the power of you know, sleep, diet and exercise are really just the three key foundational blocks, you know, anything that, you know, that certainly that I've read and studied. Okay, I think I've got one and a half of those going on right now, but you know, it's COVID. <laughs> so I, I'm giving using that as my excuse for everything. That's it. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, especially about the study. I've uh, a lot of really cool stuff to check out from you. So excited to look at those resources and, and share with our listeners as well. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you.